This morning, I just want to say a shout out to Kent Spann. Big thank you for filling in for me last week here at First Baptist. Uh, I was at Hideaway Hills. Um, I speak there once a year. It's a private community that's outside of Lancaster, and um, I've been going there for about five years now. They have an outdoor service during the summertime, so it's a beautiful setting. And uh, we have fortunately have never had it rain on us uh, in the times that we've been there. So I don't know how many of you remember Cabot Ray. Cabot Ray used to be on one of the news stations, but he leads the music there. And Cabot was here with us like 20 years ago when I first came here. We did a huge tent revival. Some of you remember this. You've been around for a while. And uh, Cabot led the music for us during that week of revival. And Stan Coffey from Texas was here uh, preaching. So we had a glorious, glorious time uh, when he was here. So it's always good to uh, have a reacquaintance with him. So uh, here we are. Um, Matthew chapter 8. So let's look in verse 1. It says, when, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And I think this is kind of an incredible statement of faith. Uh, this guy says to Jesus, Jesus, I have, I have um, no doubt that you can heal me. I, there's no doubt in my mind, in my heart, that if you were to touch me, that I would not be cleansed of my leprosy. And so Jesus responds to the faith of this man, and he does exactly that. He reaches out, he touches, and he heals. Now, here's another one. When Jesus entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said... My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to uh, my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And so then Jesus said the centurion down verse 13, go, it will be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed at that very hour. Now, Many people were amazed at things that Jesus said, the things that he taught. Many people were amazed at the things that Jesus did. You know, obviously Jesus performed a lot of healing, uh, a lot of uh, miracles that took place as, as he spoke the word and, these, and as he touched someone, healed them, or performed the miracle that they were, they were needing. And so here comes this centurion. Now, centurion was a, a Roman... Um, soldier who had like a hundred men who were assigned to him. And so he's like a commander over this, a, a small segment of the Roman army. And he says um, to Jesus, listen, Jesus, my, uh, my servant is paralyzed, suffering terribly. And, and this is the astounding thing. Jesus says, well, okay, I'll come to your house. But he says, no, 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 you don't need to come to my house. I believe that you can say the word and by speaking the word, my, my servant can be healed. Now, notice what Jesus said about this individual. 
there, there, there's not many times you see Jesus amazed by something. Many people were amazed about him, but not so much he about us. But he says of this centurion, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Anyone. I mean, this guy is a Roman centurion. So let me just say a couple of things about him uh, right out of the gate. First of all, the Romans were the bad guys in the first century in Judea. All right, These were the guys who were the invaders um, who collected taxes and uh, the, the army of Rome. I mean, this is the guy who could come up to you and say, hey, I want you, you, and you to come with me and that you would go with them and nobody would ever see you again. Uh, this is the guy who has command over uh, many men and would, could cause you to do things that you would not normally do. And so here comes this Roman, pagan, non-God-fearing, law-breaking heathen to Jesus and says, I need something from you. Can you help me? You don't even have to come to my house, speak the word, and it's done. I don't know about you, but I think that is incredible faith. I mean, do you know of anybody else that would do that, would just like walk up to somebody and say, you know what, I just believe that you are a man or a woman of God, and I just believe God has his anointing on you, and uh, there is someone in my house who is on their deathbed, and I believe you can speak a word. You don't even have to come out. Just speak the word, and it'll happen. Now, if you had somebody do that, if you did that yourself, and that person was healed, that would be a pretty incredible um, statement of faith or, or just a, a, an act of faith, trusting and having confidence in somebody that you really didn't know that well. The second thing I, I make note about this is that the Jews hated the Romans, hated them. And so I think Jesus' guys, you know, the disciples are probably thinking to themselves, when this centurion says, you know, I've got somebody at home who's paralyzed and who is suffering terribly, I think the disciples are thinking to themselves, good. We hope they suffer. In fact, we hope that whatever it is they have is contagious and they give it to your soldiers and you guys carry it back to the Roman emperor and you all die. That's just how much rift there was between the Jews and the Romans who they considered as their oppressors. And so for Jesus to go and say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I will go and heal him. Again, the disciples are thinking to themselves, are you crazy, Jesus? We're already having enough problems with the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious elite. Uh, why would you go and do this? And now you're going to the Romans and you're going to start healing them too? This is going to cause a huge rift among the religious, all right? The, the elders and the, uh, of, of our um, religious sect and this is just not going to be okay. And so the disciples are thinking, surely you don't want to do this. But notice what the centurion says, just say the word and my servant can be healed. Long distance. I don't know, this is like, like Wi-Fi uh, healing, like, you know, you just like cast it over Wi-Fi and, and this guy's healed. Whatever it is, uh, Jesus was so amazed, so astonished by this man's faith that he did, in fact, heal his servant and spoke the word without actually coming under the, um, the roof of this Roman centurion. Now, the implication, uh, Jesus is, when the Roman centurion says to him, uh, and this is kind of a strange statement, so we'll just, let me just flesh that out for a minute. Is that when the centurion replied in verse 8, Lord, I, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell them, go and do this and they, that. So w what is this dialogue? Well, think about this. 
So the centurion in his mind has made a correlation. Now, I don't know if he has seen Jesus heal people before or he had just heard about Jesus' ability to heal. I kind of lean towards he's probably witnessed some things that Jesus has done that has really kind of astounded him to draw the conclusion that somehow, someway, Jesus could just speak a word and bring healing to his servant who is suffering all the way back in his household. And so when he makes this correlation, I am a man under authority, and he says, listen, I say to my soldiers, you know, go here and guard that palace and go over there and guard that prisoner and make sure you don't fall asleep and they don't escape. You're going to lose your life, and you're going to go over here, and you need to go out and get me some lunch. And you need So they just respond to authority. So what this guy is saying is, Jesus, in essence, I have, I have observed you, and I noticed that you are a man of tremendous authority, that disease seems to fall under your command. That whatever you say, whatever you speak over someone concerning their disease, that it just vacates. Like you have authority over that. I'm not sure exactly who you are or who you are representing, but I just know that the only reason I have authority over my soldiers is not because I'm bigger, it's not because I'm smarter, it's not because I'm more athletic, it's because I represent the Roman Empire. And so, Jesus, you must represent something or someone that is far greater than disease itself because I've noticed you have the capability of speaking and it just kind of like vacates. And so he draws that conclusion in his heart that Jesus has some kind of authority outside of himself that could enable him to speak a word and have that disease taken care of. That is, for me, is a, a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous Um, statement of faith. And when Jesus makes that statement, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In other words, what blows Jesus' mind is this man's outrageous faith in God. And for me, on your outline, this is the way I define faith. Faith is simply outrageous trust in God. It's such a deep trust and such a deep confidence in God That if God just says the word, if God just speaks into the event or the circumstance or the situation, that God has the power to overcome whatever it is that I might be facing, whatever it is that I'm confronted with. In other words, faith is just like it operates in a clear order, all right? So God speaks, we listen, and because I have such confidence and trust in God, I step out in obedience, all right, so when he says to this centurion, hey, go on, your servant's healed, obviously he takes a step of obedience, right? He goes back home and finds out, yes, this has actually happened. So when you and I talk about faith, when we talk about outrageous faith, when we talk about confidence and trust in God, the only way that we will step out in obedience, we may listen to God and we may hear what God has to say, But if I don't have a deep-rooted trust and confidence in God, I will not step out in obedience to God. I will hesitate. I will try to calculate things in my mind. And here's why this is so, so important is because faith is your lifeline to God. It is your lifeline to him. Because when you step out in faith and trust and confidence in your heavenly father, that is what releases the resources of heaven down to earth upon that which object at which you are exercising your faith. And without faith, you can literally cancel the supernatural activity of God in your life. 
Because you just simply don't have enough faith, you don't have enough confidence to trust him. I'm going to give you an example out of the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 5, you'll recall there was a man named Naaman, and Naaman was a commander-in-chief for the king Aram and his army, and Naaman became leprous. Well, uh, and Naaman, you know, they, they, like the Israelites, they had no cure for that. And so uh, he is suffering extensively with leprosy. For, as far as he's concerned, he's going to die. But his wife has a servant girl who is from Israel, and the young girl says, I know a man in Israel who can heal. And so obviously that perks up his interest, and he really doesn't want to go to anyone in Israel, but hey, you're dying, you're going to, you know, you're going to take extreme measures, right? So he packs up his, his entourage, he's got all kinds of gifts, and, he's, and he goes to the house of Elisha. And uh, Elisha sees this guy coming, and Elisha sends, doesn't even come out of the house. He sends his servant out of the house and says to Naaman, hey, Elisha says, go to the Jordan River and dip seven times, and you'll be clean, white as snow. Well, Naaman's just furious. First of all, the audacity of Elisha not even coming out and addressing him, but he was more furious over the fact that he was telling him to go to the, to the Jordan River, and he says, well, why would I go to the Jordan River our, our rivers in Damascus are far superior to those of the Jordan River. And so he refuses to go, but finally his, his guys who are with him, they talk him into it. They say, what do you have to lose here? So he goes to the River Jordan. He doesn't dip one time. He doesn't dip two times, but seven times. On the seventh time, he comes up and his leprosy is absolutely cured. Now, what is the lesson here? The lesson is this. If we don't follow what God, if we don't actually do what God tells us to do, had he not gone to the Jordan and went to the river Damascus, he would have died a leprous man. Had he only dipped five times instead of seven times, he would have died as a leprous man. The only reason he experienced the supernatural activity of God in his life is because he did exactly what God told him to do. Now, we oftentimes, when God speaks to us, and, and, and to take a step of obedience, we balk on it, right? We want to like partially obey or we want to negotiate our level of obedience to, with God. And we kind of get in this bantering uh, dialogue with God about, well, God, you know, I, I don't think I can do that. But I'll tell you what I will do. And God says, well, if you want to see my supernatural activity invade in your life, in your situation, you've got to do what I'm asking you to do. And if you have extreme trust and confidence in God, that is what you will do because you believe that if you follow your heavenly father, he will unleash his power from heaven down upon your life and his activity, his healing hand, whatever it is you may need at that moment will come instantaneously, which then what? Emboldens my faith, grows my faith, moves my faith to new heights and to new directions. Do you realize that in the very beginning, the break between God and humanity, between God and Adam and Eve, was not really over the issue of disobedience alone? It was their inability to trust God. See, the reason why they ate of that forbidden fruit, from the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, is because they felt like God was holding out on them. God was withholding something, and they just couldn't fully trust him to supply whatever it is that they felt like because Satan had tricked them into thinking that God, you know, well, God, if he really loved you, he'd let you have this, and this is why he's holding out on you. And so it was their lack of faith and confidence in God 
that caused them to step out into disobedience, which created the rift between humanity and our Creator. Do you know that the entire Bible is all about God repairing that level of trust? Because God understands that you will never step out in obedience until you have a certain level of trust and confidence in him that will enable you to do that. So faith building is really all about building that relationship of confidence and that relationship of trust. God's desire is to draw you into a relationship that is built around perfect confidence and perfect trust. So imagine if you woke up with that kind of outrageous trust and confidence in God that this centurion had in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you applied that to every area of your life. I mean, you took that confidence and that trust into your relationships, into your anxiety, into your money, into your outlook, into your friends, into your enemies, into everything that you face in life. Think about the impact that faith and confidence would have in your life if you trusted God to that level. We all know that trust is the foundation of all relationships. Marriage is built on trust. If you have no confidence or faith in your spouse to be faithful to you, that they're not like going to step out on you and have an affair on you, if you have no level of faith or trust, how deep is that relationship really going to go? Not very deep. If I don't have confidence in my spouse, if, if Marla doesn't have confidence in me, I don't have confidence in her, then there is a certain level that our marriage can go to, but it won't go beyond that until that trust foundation is solid. So let's say, example, I'm counseling somebody where an affair has taken place. Guess what has been shattered? Confidence and trust. So the only way they can get their lives and put them back together again is to rebuild that level of trust and confidence in their spouse, and that takes a lot of time. And so, so it is with us. When we are walking with God and we're we're exercising our faith and trust and maybe in small ways. And so then when our obedience to God intersects with God's faithfulness, then all of a sudden God shows up. God unleashes power. God unleashes resources. God unleashes peace or whatever it is that I need in life at that moment in time. Thank you, Light. Thank you, Lord. I mean, have you ever met a, have you ever met a person that just had like profound faith and trust in God? I mean, just I'm, talking, I'm not talking about like little levels of, of faith and trust. And so if you ever run across people like this, it doesn't matter what they're facing in life, whether the good, bad, or the ugly, it really doesn't matter. Because their faith and confidence and trust in God is so deep and so profound. I mean, when things are really bad, they will say things like, well, you know what? Uh, I know that there's nothing I can do about this situation. There's nothing I can do about this circumstance to change that circumstance. But I'm just trusting God because I know that God is walking with me through this valley. I know that God is guiding and directing my life every step of the way. And as I listen to him and I, I seek him and, 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 and listen to the voice of the Spirit, and he says, go right or go left. I'm going right or left. It may not make any sense to me. It may not make common sense. It may, I may not understand it. I may not understand why God is asking me to do what he's asking me to do, but my faith and trust and confidence in God is so deep that I am going to put my faith solely in him and just keep walking after him. 
Or maybe there's somebody who's facing a, a grand temptation. Now they keep falling to this temptation over and over again. And so now it's a huge temptation that, that could really alter the course of their life in a very negative way. But their faith and their trust and confidence in God is so profound and it is so deep. They say, you know what, um, Lord, uh, I, uh, I really don't know what to do here. But I'm just trusting that you will provide for me the way of escape as you have promised. That I will, be, I will have enough confidence and trust in you that once you reveal that way of escape, because everything in my heart is pulled to the, towards this temptation, I really want to yield. I really want to give in to it. I've really not even thought beyond what the consequences might be today. But Lord, this is the yearning of my heart. I know it's not good. I know it's not, I, I need the, you to pull me away from this. So Lord, I'm just trusting you. I'm just looking for the way of escape. And Lord, I believe that you're going to provide that for me. And they just, they just walk with God. They just trust God. Um, what if you had that kind of amazing, out-of-the-box kind of faith? No, no matter what happens in your life. Because listen, here's Christianity 101 for most of us. We just believe that, man, we gave your life to Jesus. Life's going to be wonderful. I'm not going to have any problems. It's going to be smooth sailing. I'm never going to get sick. I'm going to grow to be 80, 90, 95, oh, 100 years old. I'm going to lay back in my bed one night. I'm just going to fall asleep, not wake up, going to end up in heaven. It's all going to be a beautiful thing. But then life happens, right? And that's just not reality. And so what happens is then we, we all of a sudden we turn on God and we say, well, God, I didn't sign up for this. I, why are you not helping? Why are you? See, people with great faith, even if their condition gets worse, even if it comes to the point where it costs them their life, they just their faith and confidence in God is not shattered. They, they know that they are standing on an immovable rock through the Lord Jesus Christ, being a part of an unshakable kingdom of God, because even death is a part of God's plan. None of us are going to escape life without exiting through the door of death. We have no guarantee at what age that might come. For my sister, it was age 20. For others, I've buried babies. I've buried people of all different ages through all different stages of life. There is no guarantee. But when someone has such deep-rooted trust and confidence in God, it's like there's just like no fear. It's like fear may hit them initially, but they're not going to settle into the fear. They're not going to settle down into anxiety because they have the trust and the confidence that God is going to see them through, regardless of what it is, whether it's about marriage or finances. They just have unmistakable faith. Now, if you've ever been around somebody like that, here's one of two things that happen. Either you like admire them and you're thinking, wow. I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that level of faith. My wife and I have had opportunity over the years, many years being in churches, uh, uh, meeting a lot of people. And when we were in college, uh, we, had a, we were in a couple's class, but we were like the youngest ones in there. Like we, we, we were what, 21, 22 years old, and, and they're all old people, probably in their 30s, but we thought they were all old. And this guy was a professor at the college there, mathematics professor, but his wife was just a saintly woman, just a woman of deep, profound faith. And so you're just kind of like, you know, you're just kind of taken back by that. But on the other hand, it's like, 
Are you really facing reality here? Um, have you ever really been anywhere? Have you really done anything? Have you really considered this? Have you really thought about this? Have you really read what the doctor said about you and what's happening and what the outcome could be? And because sometimes we are, we are just taken back by that level of faith and we think, you know what? I think that I could ra- if I can just give them enough information, I can rattle their faith so they'll be as fearful as I am. Been there? Done that. In fact, sometimes we just start doubt- doubting God on their behalf. Like, God, I don't know why they're trusting you, but I, I don't know. But they don't have a clue. I guess they're just, you know, naive. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. See, this is the kind of faith God wants us to have. Because God understands that until my, my trust and my confidence level goes deep with him, I'll never walk in true obedience. I might walk in partial obedience. I might try to walk in negotiated obedience. But I'll never just flat out obey, no questions asked. Not, not, okay, God, I'll obey if you tell me how it's all going to work out. If you tell me how, you know, step one, two, and three, how it's all going to pan out and, and, you know, Give it to me all up front, then I'll make a decision. No, it's just blind. It's just like, man, I'm just trusting God because I have that kind of confidence and and trust in Him. So, how does God grow that kind of faith in us? So, I want to give you five things, five ways. Now, we're not doing all five today, as I said, we're only doing one. Uh, But over the next five weeks, I want to talk about five things, five ways that God grows your faith. Now, this list is not in the Bible, it is not sequential, it's not like step one, two, three, four, five. I'm just going to give you five things that God uses in the fabric of your life in order to deepen and to increase your faith and trust in him, your confidence in him, so that you will, in turn, be willing to step out in obedience, that you'll begin to live a life of sacrifice. If you look at the word sacrifice all throughout the Bible, you will note that anyone who walked with God with any depth of measure, measure of depth, uh, there, was, uh, there was sacrifice that was required. You can't walk with God without sacrifice. This whole thing of the Christian life is all about me being happy and wealthy and wise and all. Uh, okay, I want you, God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be wise. He may want you to be wealthy. That might be a part of his plan for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen, God is going to require sacrifice from us for time and talents and money and, and all the things so that we are moving forward his agenda, not our personal agenda, but his agenda as our lives intersect with that agenda and that purpose for which God has us here still on planet earth. So uh, here are the things that God uses to make our faith strong and outrageous. Now this is just an observation. I've put these five words up before and a couple years ago I asked our staff, I said, hey, let's talk about your faith walk. How did it start, and when were, when were the times in your life that your faith would begin to falter, or you began to fall back, or maybe, maybe you know somebody who walked away from the faith, what was going on, and I'll guarantee you it will fall under one of these five categories, all right? So I'm going to give you the, uh, the, probably the most obvious one right up front, and is this. It is practical biblical teaching. Practical biblical teaching. Now, I want you to circle that word practical because that's the issue here. Practical. Something that is useful. Not, not just acquiring knowledge, but something that is applicable. Something that says, okay, I see that now. Now I know how to apply this to my life. Everyone's journey intersects with someone going, wow, 
I didn't know that was in the Bible. I didn't know the Bible even talked about that. I thought the Bible was really boring. Well, let me tell you, I can take you places in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. <laughs> I mean, if they made a soap opera out of it, it would be rated triple X. I mean, it's just like, it's just, you know, incredible things that are in the Bible. God doesn't hide anything. He doesn't hide the good, bad, and ugly. He, he puts it all out there on the line. But more than likely, when people tell me about their faith journey, it's always something like this. Well, you know, uh, I grew up in church, or I didn't grow up in church like myself. I never went to church until I was, you know, late in my teens, or maybe somebody from another religion, or somebody was invited to a singles event, and they say, you know, I was invited to church like I was, I was invited by a family, and uh, so I was invited to go play softball on the youth softball team, and, but you had to go to church once a week, so I go to church, I go to the youth group. And for the first time in my life, somebody opens up a Bible, and they teach the Bible not in a boring, um, you know, snooze me to sleep kind of way, but it was something that was very practical. It was something, not just getting more information, they taught in a practical and an applicable way. Something that says, here's a nugget of truth that you can take and apply to your life that will better your life that will help you navigate in better ways, that will help you with that tumultuous relationship you're struggling with or trying to overcome that hurt or pain because of what someone said or someone did to you and you've, you've, you've harbored all this unforgiveness and here's a practical way that you can address that issue so God gives you release from that. And so when somebody teaches the Bible, at the end, we don't just want to know more, we want to know what to do about what we have learned. Right, see, that's practical, biblical teaching. Shortly after I got saved, and I, I was attending church, and I, I loved the pastor, but I used to sit there and listen to sermons, and I'd think to myself, well, that's all fine and well. Love the information, love the stories, but what does that have to do with my life? How, how am I going to take that into school? How am I going to use that with my friends? And how, how am I going to apply this to my everyday walk in life? And so I was like, a great information but I'm really not sure what to do with the information that I'm receiving. And so there are many ways you can teach the Bible. For example, when I was in college, Marlon and I were in college, and we went to a church. Uh, the pastor there uh, was kind of, he was like the intern. And so he would just open up the Bible. He'd start, let's say he started with the book of Matthew. we start Matthew 1.1. And he'd just start teaching, you know, through whatever verse. When 30 minutes is up or 40 minutes, wherever he was, he just stopped. Right? And then we just pick up the next week, and then you just start right where we left off. And we just, so we're working our way through the entire book of Matthew just in a very expositional, expositional kind of way. And it, it was really more about getting through the, the Scripture and telling you information about the Scripture. But there was never really an application about what I would do with this, even though it was a great explanation. All right? So you can teach the Bible topically. You can take a topic. Like, okay, so we're, we're talking about faith. Well, there's no one passage in the Bible that explains everything about faith. Faith is systematically interwoven all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. So I'm just pulling out some passages that deal with what I think are the five big catalysts that God uses in your life in order to grow your faith and deepen your trust and your confidence in him. And, and so that's, uh, that's another teaching approach. And so I do what I call topical exposition. That is, I, I'm going to find a topic, but I want to expound what God's word says. Sometimes, as you know, I preach through books of the Bible. 
But I do that topically in that I want to take the theme of that, that book and I want to extrapolate the lessons, the life lessons out of those themes that are given in that book. And so there's always this, um, here's what it meant then, here's now, and the timeless principle, that timeless principle is the application point that we learn from God's word. And so what Jesus is going to say is what we need to extrapolate from scripture is what is the application point? How is this going to make a difference in my life? When Jesus opened up the Old Testament and taught, the people said, the Bible said over and over again, they were astounded. They, they couldn't believe he teaches with such authority. I mean, we've never heard anybody teach like this before. Now, the Pharisees, on the other hand, when they tried to teach, they're just giving information. Jesus is giving application. So let's look in Matthew chapter 7, the end of that chapter, because here is... Here's kind of the setup for this, is that Jesus has taught what's called the Sermon on the Mount. All right, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. The purpose of that sermon was not just to give information. The purpose of the sermon was to help people make application out of what God has already said. And so Jesus would say things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, right? Let me give you the point of application. Now, it's not that there were things that we didn't, don't need to know or believe. He expounded on some of those things. But by and large, the entire Sermon on the Mount is all about application. Here's what it looks like to have outrageous faith in God. Here's what it looks like if you're really trusting God and putting confidence and your hope in God. This is what it looks like in everyday life. This is how you apply it to relationships. This is how you apply it to marriage. This is how you apply it to temptation. This is how you apply And so he just went on down the line of all the things that touch our lives day in and day out. Jesus said in this sermon, here is how you do with what it is you have been given. And so the reason Jesus is teaching this way is because he's like, look, it's not just about what you believe, it's about what you do. Just knowing things doesn't make any difference. It's what we do that makes the difference. Now, keep in mind, the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with going to heaven or hell, has nothing to do with eternal thing, life beyond this life. He's trying to say, if you really had outrageous faith in God, this is what you would do. If you had perfect faith in God, this is what you would do, and this is how you would act. For example, if somebody asks you to go a mile, you go a second mile. If uh, somebody offends you, you're not going to harbor unforgiveness. You're, gonna, you're not going to bury all that toxic emotion that leaks into your emotional system and just makes you a human wreck. No, 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 no. You're going to deal with it immediately, quickly, and you're going to forgive the offender. You're going to move on with life. You're not going to let that, sin, that, that you know, hold you to change of the past. Um, you know what, guys? Um, you know, it's not just about adultery. It's about lust. Do you know that you can sin with your mind and your eyes? And so one of the reasons why you're having problems in your mental life and your thought life when it comes to women is because these images, you're, you, you know, we see in pictures, we see in images, and this is a huge temptation for men. And so Jesus says, listen, you, you think that just committing adultery is a sin. I'm telling you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. This is an issue you have to deal with. Let me show you how to deal with that issue. Right, so this isn't the governing factor in your life. It's not the moving part in your life that is shoving you back and forth and causing you to yield to temptation in your life. 
And uh, Jesus would say, like, hey, you want to view money? All right, let, let's talk about money. Jesus never sat down and said, well, this is the percentage you ought to give. He, just, he skipped over that. He just simply said this. You see a person in need, do whatever you can to meet that need. Be as generous as you possibly can in meeting the need of that individual. So Jesus took these nuggets of truth that have been in the Scripture all the way back in the Old Testament, and he says, this is how you apply it. This is how you step out in obedience and put it into practice. So Jesus says, if um, you want to live a life in which your faith and trust in God is going deeper and deeper, um, this is what you need to do. Not to gain God's favor, not to make God like you more. You know, he's speaking to those who are a part of the covenant people of God, Israel, the Jews themselves. They're not, they're not, he's not saying this is how you gain favor in God's eyes. This is how God likes you better. God's love for you is already unconditional. That's not even the issue here. He's just simply saying, listen, I want to take the Bible. I want to make it very practical because I want to show you how as you deepen your faith and confidence in God and step out in obedience, that God shows up in your life in dramatic, supernatural, powerful ways. And when you experience that in your life, I mean, your faith begins to soar. Your trust and confidence in God goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And so God can trust you for greater things and more profound things so that rather than living your life, for example, being filled with worry and fear and anxiety, Jesus said himself, why in the world are you worrying about those things? Do you not know that your heavenly Father knows you have need of those things? He will take care of those things. Stop concerning yourself with those things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything you need, God says, I will supply it for you. Put your hope, your faith, your trust, your confidence in me. Step out in obedience. Watch me work. So here's what Jesus says as he concludes this sermon. Therefore, verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And so uh, if you want to see, if you want to see um, your trust and confidence in God lived out practically in your life, Jesus says, you've got to take my words and you have to put it into practice. You've got to do these things. It's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to know it. You know, I know people that know hundreds of verses of Scripture, but still live their lives filled with worry, anxiety, and fear, and all the other negative things in life, because they never really applied what it is they're learning. And so, you know, you can listen to me week in and week out. You can take notes. You can index those notes, and you can catalog those notes. But if that's all you do, nothing will change in your life. Nothing changes until we make application of what it is that we are actually 
learning. So you just can't go away and say, God loves me because I heard Jesus speak. You know, well, I was on the Sermon on the Mount, and I listened to him for five days, and I'm going to tell you what, man, I've got it all down now because I heard what Jesus said. Well, Jesus would say, but the question is, what are you doing about it? This is his old concluding remarks is, listen, if you hear what I've said and don't do anything with it, you're like the foolish man who built his house on sand, and when the storm comes, your life's going to crash. But if you take what I've taught you and actually apply it to your everyday life, then you're like building on a solid rock, and when the winds, the storms come against you, you will stand strong and you will stand firm. You see, in our American culture, we are all victims of this kind of, we kind of rate our spirituality and Christianity on whether or not we went to church this weekend, right? You know, some people, I, I'd never miss church, I never miss mass, I never miss confession, I, I go every week, I go every week, I go every week. Do you realize that um, <laughs> you can go every week for the rest of your life, but if you're never taking the practical application of God's word and actually putting it into practice, it does you absolutely no good. Your marriage won't change. Your relationships aren't going to change. Your emotional life isn't going to change. Your financial situation is not going to change. Everything that intersects your life and life itself will never change until you take the word of God and actually put it into practice. So I put it this way on your outline. Faith is not measured by what we believe. Faith is measured by what we do. It's measured by what we do. Again, I'm not trying to earn God's love. I'm not trying to earn God's favor by doing. I'm not trying to earn my way into heaven. I have all those things. I'm simply doing because my confidence and faith and trust in God is so deep that I want to obey him because I know that when I do, he's going to show up. So when you, when you hear someone's story about outrageous faith, you'll hear an element of, you know, I, I started going to this church or I started going to this group of people and have Bible study at work and, and I, man, I just started seeing things in the Word of God I never saw before and I, I just never realized how that intersected with my life and what I'm facing right now. And I took those principles, those practical teachings, and I, I began obeying them. And as I obeyed those things, I was just absolutely floored and amazed by how God showed up and began moving in my life and changing my heart and redirecting my path. And it's just been an incredible incredible journey. And I've learned how to take these principles and apply them in my money and marriage and education and relationships and forgiveness and future and morality and ethics and every aspect of my life. And God just, just doing amazing things in me. That's what God wants for you. That, that, that ought to be our testimony. Um, so here's the faith factor. I'm going to give you a faith factor for each one of these. It's kind of like the one statement that says this is why practical biblical teaching is so important. The faith factor is simply this. When your obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, God shows up, right? When your obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, man, God just shows up in incredible, powerful ways. So, for example, um, you know that we... we um, we talk about healing at our church. We don't just talk about it. We actually pray for people to be healed. And so I, I've shared this before, I think, but uh, when I had a young man in one of my, my groups, and he you know, had hepatitis C and was given like six months to live. And, and so you know, I was just praying that afternoon, and our, our uh, group was meeting that night, and, and God just said to me, I want you to pray for him. I, I want you to pray for his healing. Okay, God. 
Now, I could have taken that information. We could have had our meeting that night. He could have gone his way, and I just, you know, like, oh, man, I forgot that. Or, eh, Lord, I just didn't think the time was right. God, I just, you know, I, I just didn't think it was going to be receptive to that. I, I could have come up with all those excuses. But instead, fortunately for me, because I have made those excuses in the past, just like you have. And so, you know, at, as the conclusion of our meeting, I said, you know what, Nate, I, God just laid on my heart today, spoke to me. I, I want to pray for your healing. And I just prayed a prayer. It was a long prayer. It was like a two-minute prayer. And, you know, he goes on his way, and, and uh, as he's going home, he says, man, there's just something started changing and happening inside of me. And he said, I wanted to call you that night, but it was so late, I wasn't going to call you. He called me the next day, and he says, man, just something's going on. And he went to the doctor's because they tried an experimental drug on him, and it wasn't working well. It was making him really sick, and he's going to say, look, I just can't do this. And so, um, yeah, the doctors checked him over, and all of a sudden, like, he's healed. Like, there's no hepatitis C left whatsoever. They are so taken back uh, that he said they, they made him come back two days later, brought in a whole team of doctors at Ohio State University, brought in a whole team of doctors and did all the tests all over again because they just couldn't believe that he had received healing. And they said, we don't understand what's happened. We don't understand how, the, how this transpired, how this took place. Well, I'm going to tell you, God healed me. See, that's a step of obedience. Now, if I had no confidence or trust that God could heal the man, I would have never prayed the prayer. But if, you have that de- you, if God speaks and you're listening and you, you believe what God's telling you is going to happen and you s- step out and exercise faith and obedience, my obedience intersected with God's faithfulness and God's activity showed up in that young man's life and forever changed him. This is not Greg. It's God. God does it all. Like, this is the beauty about, it's just an expression of, you know, I'm trusting God in outrageous ways. I mean, it's one thing, to, for example, to believe in nutrition, but it's another thing to eat healthy, right? So some of you, you know, you think, well, I need to eat healthy, man. Every, every New Year's like, man, I need to eat healthier. I need to get healthy. I need to eat healthy. So, you know, you buy the books, you get the cookbooks, you watch the videos, you watch the things on TV, you watch it on the internet, and you get all the stuff, you know, you get it all lined up, and, and, uh, but you never do anything. Right? You just like you've read the books, you've watched the TV shows, you've watched the DVDs, you got it all up here. You know all about how to eat healthy, but eh, you're still shoving Twinkies down your throat. I don't know. I don't get it. See, you can know all that. You can say, oh, exercise is so important, so vitally important for the human body, and it is, and the Bible tells us it is. And, you know, you can say, well, I've got, I've got, I can't tell you how many exercise videos and yoga videos, but you never put one in, and you never do anything, and it's just like, right? So if I don't, if I don't actually do what I'm saying I believe, nothing changes. I can say, well, you know what? Marriage, man, you can, you can read books on marriage. You can go to, you know, you, you can... Uh, Go to seminars on marriage. You can watch all kinds of stuff online on marriage. But if you never take what you're learning and actually apply it to the marriage, nothing changes. This is Jesus' whole point. Listen, our, our, our goal in reading the Bible and studying the Bible and unfolding the Bible is not so that we can just acquire knowledge. It's not about knowledge. It's about obedience. It's when obedience takes place that God shows up because my obedience has intersected with his faithfulness and God is always faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. So here's the second thing. We don't need more faith. We just need more obedience, right? Jesus says if you want Christianity to explode in the reality of your experience, you have to do some things. you got to put it into practice. And so the reason that the house didn't fall 
uh, you know, it's not because he had superior knowledge about storms or about construction or building the house, it's but because he did the right thing. And he says when he did the right thing, when he listened and when he applied, all of a sudden, when the storms of life came, boom, Jesus shows up and you can weather the storm of life. You have to express faith and trust in his faithfulness because when those two things intersect, there is God. There is God. Now let me just say about the second guy whose house collapsed. Because here's here's what we do as Christians. We set up this debt-to-debtor relationship with God. We say, God... Now, I've been coming to church for a long, long time, and I've been reading my Bible, and I've been praying, and I've been giving, and I've been serving, and I've been doing all these things. Lord, why are these bad things happening to me? Why is it my finances are like on the you know, back burner? And why is it you know, every time I try something, it doesn't seem to work out? Why am I having such difficulties in my life? God, uh, why are all these things happening to me? I've tried to do what, you know, what I thought was right, and, but it's just not working out. God, I trusted you to... Heal. I trusted you to provide. I trusted you to, to repair our, my marriage. I trusted you to. And so every time we say, I trusted you to, and we fill in that blank, we set up an expectation or a promise that God may have never given us. Faith is about, I trust God, period, regardless of the outcome. What God says is that though if I apply things, If I apply the biblical principles into my marriage, guess what? It's probably going to get better. But if I just have head knowledge about this stuff and I don't ever apply it, and I'm still just as cranky pants with my wife as I ever have been, and I'm still just as rude to her and unapologetic as I've ever been, probably nothing's going to change in the marriage, right? But if all of a sudden God gets in your heart and begins to stir you and says, hey, She's not the problem. You're the problem. Look in the mirror because I've got some things that need to happen in your life in order for you to bring that over into your marriage if you want to see healing take place in that relationship. Now, you've heard Marla and I's story. Our first 10 years of marriage was horrible. We, we were a wreck. <laughs> but God spoke to both of us, right? He didn't tell, give us the same message. He told my, he told my wife, hey, you, you're, you're to love and respect Greg. What did you say? Yeah, I don't love him. He doesn't deserve it. God said, I didn't ask you if he deserved it. I said, this is the right thing to do. God said to me, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, I do, I do love my wife. Well, no, no, no. no, no you haven't quite got that right yet. And so as God began to reveal things to us, that would have been great if we had those, the revelation. But if we never took the revelation and did it, nothing would have changed. We would never last. We've been divorced a long time ago. Long time ago. But it's because we were willing to step forward, swallow our pride, and do what God asked us to do. So here's number three. Biblical faith is about trusting God enough to do what he says. Obedience makes the difference. Not attendance, not knowledge, not acquiring knowledge. It's when you do. And so it says the teachers of their law in verses 28 and 9, you know, when they, they taught, they just really taught more for head knowledge. Jesus is, taught, is teaching more for practical application. God works through authority. And so when we stay under the authority of God's word and we walk in obedience to that word, God moves, right? See, one of the reasons why we have such a mess in our society is because 
Do you know God has four levels of government? The first one is self-governing. You have to learn how to self-govern yourself under the umbrella of God's authority. Because when you remain under the umbrella of God's authority, you have God's protection. You have God's security. When you refuse and, you, and your rebellious spirit says, well, I don't care what God says. I'm not doing that. Guess, so you've removed yourself. So now you're no longer self-governing under the authority of God. And now the consequences of your decisions and actions are going to be all over the map. And bad things are going to happen. It's just not going to work out for you the way you thought it would. And so from there, the, there's the, the different level. It all starts with self-governing, living under the authority of God, li- taking God's um, principles and putting him into practice in my life. So let me close with this. Look in Luke chapter um, 4, because here's, here's really my goal for you. And really the purpose of this message is, uh, listen, I want your faith to be so outrageous, so audacious, so deep in God that when God says move, you move. When God says stop, you stop. He says go left, go right, whatever. Because God wants to move with you, in you, through you, around you, above you, below you. God is an all-encompassing. He wants to take you places you never thought he would take you. He wants to bring healing where you thought healing could never take place. He wants to restore relationships where you thought they were broken forever. He wants to unleash all of that negative emotional turmoil you have carried with you for years and years. He wants you to be free from all of that stuff. But you have to take what God says and put it into practice. Now, listen to what happened to Jesus. Jesus is in his hometown and he's preaching. <laughs> and so this is a good church service, right? Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue after he spoke were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. They just love that. That's a good church service. And well, <laughs> not for me, but it's a good church service for you, right? So what's happening? So Jesus confronts them with truth, but they don't want to receive the truth. They don't want to do the truth. They don't want to apply the truth. So they just get mad at him. You know, there have been places I've preached before, like, for example, in my home church where I was saved, First Baptist Church in Heath, when I was in college, I preached there, um, did a revival for them one year, and, uh, and I, t- I was talking about... Uh, rewards and heaven and hell and rewards and how there's you know varying degrees of punishment in hell and that just really stirred some people up man they got all furious and, and all fired up well what are you talking about where do you get that well, well let me show you in the Bible where it says that and so I just give them the scripture you know and so they get all worked up about that and, and sometimes it's the opposite that happens so like last weekend when I spoke at Highway Hills I had a woman come up to me afterwards and she says hey do you, is there any way I can get a manuscript of that message? I said, absolutely. I said, all my messages are manuscript. You give me your email address. I'll email it to you. And her husband comes up to me and says, you know what? I've been, I've been going to church with my wife for 30 years, and it's the first time she's ever asked anybody for a message. Why? Because it was practical to her. It was something that hit where she, you know, it, it, it scratched her itch. My point is this. I hope, by, I hope when I preach that you get so furious with me, you think to yourself, you know what? I don't believe what that preacher has to say. I don't care what he's got to say. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to get my Bible, and I'm going to read it and study it for myself just to prove him wrong. Great! (laughs) That's my goal. 
I don't want you to swallow everything I tell you, hook, line, and sinker. I want you to dive into God's word. I want you to learn how to dig out the principles, the timeless truth of God's word that you can apply to your life. And when you walk in obedience and your obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, all of a sudden God shows up in miraculous ways. That's what it means to grow your faith. And that's why we try to provide environments in our church where you can sit in times of practical, biblical preaching. I don't want to fill your head with mere knowledge. I want you to walk out of here with obedience. At the end of the day, obedience is what makes all the difference. It's what Jesus said. But here's what I know in closing. This is on your outline. Following Jesus is much harder than studying about Jesus. Amen? You know it is. I didn't say this is going to be easy, but it's going to be beneficial. When your obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, he always shows up. Let's pray together. So, Father, we are so grateful, um, God, for your word. Lord, I, I just, I'm thank you, thankful, word, Father, that your word just is so raw. It is so um, authentic. It doesn't try to cover up the, the, the bad and the ugly, but, but Lord, it just exposes it and helps us to learn from it, Lord, because these are the same issues that we struggle with as human beings day in and day out. And God, we're just in this all together, all of us. So Lord, I thank you that you provide us with a church, an environment where we can come and just study over your word and, and just be an encouragement to one another in areas where we struggle. Lord, I, I pray that we will find um, partners or someone that we can just come alongside of or go alongside of somebody and bring them into our life and, and, and just help us in our areas of struggle and people that we see that their faith um, journey is further along than ours. And God, I just pray that you'll make those practical, unique connections uh, between our, our congregation so that we can, Lord, just encourage one another. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge there are just times that we just, man, we, we, you know, it's three steps forward, two back, and we just get frustrated with ourselves. But we thank you, God, that you are so patient and you are so kind with us, and I pray that we would be patient and kind with one another. We thank you, we love you for all that you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name. Now, before we have our closing song, um, you know, faith is rooted in relationship and a particular relationship and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every day of our lives, we commit unintentional sins, high-handed sins like we know we're doing it, we're just going to do it anyways. So we racked up this sin debt against God that separated us from him, created a, within us a spiritual deadness. But Jesus came into the world to stand in our place. This is the essence of the gospel. This is our message to the world to stand in our place, to die for our sins. And when he died on that cross and they put him in the tomb and he was resurrected from the grave, God was saying, listen, Jesus' sacrifice for your sin debt is acceptable to me. I'm accepting that. And Jesus also proved his power over death and sin. And he wants us to experience that. So when I enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's not just like believe, oh, I just believe Jesus exists. It means I trust, I put my hope, my confidence in him alone. 
to be the savior of my life, to the forgiver of my sin, to be the Lord of my life, the one who can enable me to walk in freedom. You need Jesus not just because you're going to die someday. You need Jesus because you're going to live tomorrow. If you want God showing up in your life on a day-in and day-out basis, walk with him. Obey him. Follow him. John 3.16, you know, we all know, God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We take that word believe as Americans, and we, we think, well, you know, I can believe a lot of things. That means I'm really going to trust it. So we just kind of say, okay, I'm going to believe Jesus, and that becomes my credit card of grace, and I'm just going to, I've got my credit card of grace, I'm going to heaven, and I just live my life however I want to. No, no, no. Jesus said you have to receive him as Savior and Lord. For John, who wrote those, that verse, writes in his epistle, he fleshes that out. 1 John 2, 3 says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. 2.6, he says, this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. James 2 says, what good does it do? Faith apart from works is dead. My obedience doesn't earn me heaven. Jesus is the one who enables me to experience heaven. But my obedience is what enables me to intersect God's faithfulness and to experience God day in and day out. And it all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you are here or online watching us today, if you will just reach out to Christ, put your hope, your faith, your trust, your confidence in Him alone as Savior and Lord of your life, and acknowledge to Him that you have sinned, that you've blown it in life, but you want to receive Jesus as your Savior the one who can forgive you of your sins, the one who can take your dead spirit and bring it back to life and indwell you with his spirit so that you have a power source that you've never had before that will enable you to take the application of God's word and interweave it in the fabric of your life in every sector of your existence. I pray that for you. I pray that you ask Jesus into your life. You can do that right now, right where you are. Let us know if you make that decision. We'd love to send you some follow-up materials. We're going to close in song this morning, church. So let's stand together and just praise the Lord as we are leaving this morning.